Our reflection today is split into two parts. Uh, we're going to have a hymn in the middle. Today's story from the Old Testament is what you might call a double-take tale. In other words, one of those moments when you're kind of uh, thinking about something or you're look at, looking at something and then suddenly you go, what was that? Try that again. <laughs> what was that? Hang on a minute. What did I just hear? What did I just read? Everything in that story is going along fine. It's a simple story of God calling a, a new prophet. Um, go and do a few miracles. Show everybody that you're capable and you're good. Um, prove that you're, you're one of uh, God's prophets. And then, out of the sidelines, come this tale of she-bears the massacre of boys, all coming after the part in the story where suddenly we're told that Elisha was follically challenged, in other words, bald, and some translations actually have the line, I'm sorry that ours doesn't have, hey, baldy. <laughs> Not the RSV, which is slightly posher. Let's try and imagine a scenario as to how the story came about in that form. Say we're in King Josiah's Jerusalem, 630 BCE, during a brief respite from foreign invasion. The young king is intent in keeping going all the traditions, all the stories of old, passing them on to the next generation. It's a Friday afternoon and we're the boys. In those days, just boys in the classroom. We're in the classroom at the end of a week. It's hot. The boys are tired. The boys are restless. The boys are not remotely interested in another story about a long-dead prophet. Their teacher, who happens to be old enough to be himself follically challenged but not so old that he can't remember what it's like to be a bored little boy in a classroom, decides to spice up the story a little. And so Elisha left Jericho to go to Bethel, and on the way the boys came out of the town and made fun of him. Get out of here, Baldy, they shouted. Now he has the boys' attention, and he milks the story for all it's worth. Elisha turned round and glared at the boys and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And then he sent two she-bears out of the woods and they tore the boys, the naughty boys, to pieces. If I was a boy in that classroom, that would have got my attention. And I wouldn't be talking behind that teacher's back again. A story not to be forgotten, which has sent shivers down schoolboys ever since. Now this part of the story doesn't tell us much about the nature of God. But the story of Elisha's selection and his induction as a prophet raises some important points about who God chooses, the nature of authority, how to recognize if God chooses a person, how to recognize if God chooses you and what it might mean to be chosen. Who does God pick and why? 
What are we chosen by God for? Who does God pick? Elisha is handpicked by God to take over from Elijah. Elijah was a giant, of course, in the eyes of the Israelites. He was the top of the tree, the cleverest of the cleverest, the, 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 the best at doing lots of hey, tricks. Who could possibly fill his boots? Poor Elisha was Elijah's servant. Elisha was grieving the, the loss of his master. He had become a follower through him and had learned a lot from his master. Elijah believed that Elisha was the one to take over from him, and he gave Elisha his cloak as a sign, as a token of leadership. But Elisha does not feel he's up for the job. He takes Elijah's cloak, he rips it in two, and he wanders down to the riverside. He hits the water with his cloak, and he hits it again. And the watching crowd is amazed, because just like Moses, and just like with Elijah, lo and behold, the waters separate. It divides in two, and Elisha walks across on dry land. This action encourages the prophets to believe that Elisha may be their man, but they were reluctant to fully back him, and so they said, well, okay, but let's go and see if Elijah may be still alive. Let's go and see if we can find him in the wilderness. Elisha wasn't happy with that, but eventually he said, well, okay then, and they, and they went off, and they returned after the search, of course, uh, and hadn't found him, but still they weren't prepared to back Elisha. They needed more signs, and so Elisha did some stuff with the purification of water. Now, that's some recruitment process. That's some interview that the young Elisha had to go through to get the gig only after interview, only after practical demonstration, was he selected for the job. But if it's one thing to convince everybody else, it was another thing altogether for Elisha to feel convinced himself that he was fit for taking over the shoes of the great Elijah. Elijah was too full of wisdom, too clever, too divine. How could he, young Elisha, take over the mantle? Now, I guess that that part of the story is something that we can all relate to. How often have you had self-doubt? Asked to do something, take something on, and you feel, why me? Why could someone think I could do this? Elisha needed affirmed. Elisha needed certainty. Just as much as his interview panel needed to ascertain that he could do it, he needed to know himself that he was up to the task. No matter how confident we are, we, I'm sure, have definite moments in our life when we doubt our strengths and when we dismiss the purpose that God might have in store for us. We fear being overstretched. We fear being somehow in a position outside our comfort zone. Now, yes, there are things we're not cut out for. Of course, we don't have the particular skills to do everything. And sometimes it's not the right time 
to step up. Sometimes it would be an overcommitment. Yet, at other times, and in other situations, we know that sometimes we're just reluctant to commit, to comply with the call that God makes on our lives for a particular purpose. And we create lots of stumbling blocks, including the need to be affirmed before we do it. Today I'm reminded of the whole point of the gospel. Not that we're we're reading all the the stories of the gospel, of course, in one sitting today. In fact, we're, we're not actually looking at the gospel at all. This is an ancient story from kings. Yet it reminds me, this story, of a central theme in the gospels. It's a question about who God chooses. As people, the gospels tell us that we're loved unconditionally by God. That we are chosen by God. That we're affirmed by God. God sent Jesus into the world and to the cross and raised him to life to affirm his love for us. God chose to do this. We were chosen to receive this love, this affirmation. In different ways, in different times, we are called upon as affirmed people, already affirmed, already chosen, to take on a particular role for God. Who does God pick? The answer is you. The answer is me. Because he affirms his love for us and he needs us to help him. Let's sing hymn 600, Spirit of God, unseen as the wind. Who does God pick? You and me. And what are we chosen for? One of Elisha's selection tests saw him make the water clean. Contaminated water had been the source of disease, miscarriage and illness in the community. As I think about that scene, I'm very aware of it as a metaphor for why we're chosen by God. Where are the folks today who can make the water clean? Who can bring life and hope to the communities of the world that we live in? It's all very easy, isn't it? To leave the work of purification and healing, opportunity building, justice making to other people. Elected officials, people whose job it is to do this, people who have more time than us, people who are not tied up in the current busyness of my life. But the reality is, before it's too late, too late for the planet, 
Climate instability, extreme weather events, water scarcity. Too late for the people of Yemen, Sudan and Venezuela, amongst other places caught up in civil war. Too late for the poor, the addicted and the broken of our own community. Too late for all of us, given the tensions between the nations of the world that threaten peace. The reality is God needs us to stand apart from those who ignore these problems or who cause them, those who put up with them because they're not directly happening to us, they won't happen in our time, so not our responsibility. Imagine if you had the power The power to do something amazing and wonderful. Imagine if you had more power than Harry Potter. Imagine if you had more power than the Prime Minister or the President. What would you do? What would you do with the power? Would you make yourself rich? Rich and famous and powerful. Would you use the power to do good or bad? Would you use that power only to benefit the people you like? people who were the same as you? Or would you use that power to help everyone who needed it? Imagine if you could bring clean water to places where there was none. Imagine if you could feed the people who were hungry. Imagine if you could provide homes for refugees and give them fresh starts. Imagine if you could make it so that people didn't need to flee their homes and become refugees in the first place. Imagine if you could see to it that the earth's resources were better shared more evenly. Imagine if you could stop climate change and reverse pollution. Imagine if you could bring an end to all wars, bring an end to poverty. Imagine if you could help people get along better despite differences. What else? What else would you do if God gave you the power to change the world? Now, who's heard of Greta? Greta Thunberg. What a wonderful example of a young person. And the young people that I know from my work in the schools would suggest to me that she's not alone in her passion for saving this world, but she's become a spokesperson. What was it she said on Friday? She said, we're doing this to wake the leaders up simple sentence but there's a lot in that we're doing this to get them to act we deserve a safe future we demand a safe future is that really too much to ask for she said she said right now we are the ones who are making a difference the young people not politicians here young people If no one else will take a stand, 
we will. She said it should not be that way. We should not be the ones who are fighting for the future. And yet, here we are. What would you do if God gave you the power? Today we take comfort from Elisha's uncertainty about his own abilities, his need for affirmation from God and other people. We can understand that. From all, for all of us, there is that need to try and discern the movement of God's Spirit in our lives, in the world and in our work, and work out what God seeks from us. That's living faith, to be in that conversation with God about, God, here I am. What do you need from me? And show us, show me, I can do it. What we are chosen for will be different for each one of us. But rest assured, we are all chosen and we're all given responsibility. We shouldn't be leaving it to the young folks. It is their future, but surely it should be for all of us to make sure that there is a future for our young people of the world and for future young people, future people of future generations. This project of saving our world from poverty, from war, from climate change, is not to be left to everyone else. It's our problem. It's ours to fix. And God asks us to play our part. The good news is God has affirmed us in Jesus Christ. We are loved. We are chosen. We are tasked with the work of cleaning up the grime in people's lives, in our communities and world. Maybe this story of Elisha will make us do a double take and recognise this story is for us. We're called to stand up and be counted.